Welcome to the UK Consult Weekly Podcast with Jonathan Bradley and Elton Daddo, engagement practitioners and general consultation superheroes at Bang the Table in the UK. Hello and welcome to Jono and Elk's weekly ramble through all things online community engagement and public consultation. Jono, it's been three whole weeks since we've been together on a podcast because our colleague Charlie Amos has been ably standing in for you in the first week and then me last week. Um, so it feels strange to be back, but actually, even then, we're not alone this week. So how do you feel about that? I'm okay about it, but you know what? You know what happened, Elton? I've had people messaging me saying, oh, maybe Charlie should be on every week. I'm like, hold on a minute now. You can't have people on as guests and then they become a permanent fixture. Yeah, I mean, that could happen this week. (laughs) Um, I don't know about that. I mean, obviously, we can invite Charlie back, but did they give an indication? We could put it out there on Engagement HQ as to which presenter she wanted to replace. So we could do like some sort of quick poll on that, couldn't we? Yeah, we could, Alvin, but you should never ask a question like that if you're not prepared to deal with the answer. <laughs> I think we could, and then we could drill down further into it with some sort of discussion forum or things like that to ask sort of why. Why is it that you want to replace me, or why is it that you want Jono replaced? What are the reasons? What is it? Is it the jokes? Is it certain sections of what we're doing? So we can drill down into the answers a bit more. Uh, yeah, that would be quite a good discussion forum, actually. Yeah, and in fact, I am going to launch a quick poll shortly. But before I do that, we are delighted to welcome Anna McKeon from Traverse, who is Head of Engagement and Associate Director there. Welcome, Anna. Thank you. Hi, both of you. Excellent. Before you tell us about the fantastic stuff that Traverse do and your role within that and the projects that we work on with you as well, I thought we'd set off a quick poll because we normally run one each week and we haven't done one over the last week while we've been on, on leave and things like that. And it's quite it's something quite serious and important. Crinkle cut, curly, straight or skin on fries, Anna? Ooh, crinkle cut, curly, straight or skin on? Yeah, a tantalising set of, of answers. Oh, this is going to take me a while. <laughs> well, so curly fries give me a flashback to my like sixth form days when in the periods when I was supposed to be in the library, I used to go to the pub over the road and eat curly fries. So I think I'm going to have to say curly fries because it's a bit nostalgic. Yeah, it's got nostalgic yeah. value. And if we did yeah. run a quick poll like this, it is quite probable then that you would quite like then to use something like a stories tool or something to oh, tell yes, that please. story about eating curly fries when you were younger. You see. Definitely, definitely. You're really focused this week, Elton, bringing it back to practice and engagement HQ because you've had a week off it might be but I'm refocusing this week Anna he's made me grumpy oh no he called them fries oh it said chips chips. yeah Yeah. but you don't have curly chips do you because they'd be really thick and windy wouldn't they I guess so I have to say also at the minute my favourite is like cheesy kimchi fries or cheesy kimchi chips I sort of discovered those recently. There's no going back from them, I don't think. Spencer's do, and other chips are available. Um, mm. They do a vegan cheesy chips, which is particularly lovely. We could extend this on for weeks. Well, to be fair, actually, it's, it's very relevant to Traverse because there's this story that goes around that. So Lucy Farrow, who's one of our directors, when she interviewed me for the job back in the day, I asked her what the working culture was like at, at Traverse. And she said, well, we, we go to the pub down the road often enough that they give us free chips, which is true. And chips uh, was quite a big part of the Traverse sort of working culture. But actually, I found out she since used to chop that line out to quite a few people. 
yeah, yeah there's, there's often a bit of chat about about chips within uh, within the Traverse team. Brilliant, and I think we'll extend this on into next week, and then ask what's the best thing to dip dip them in. You know, what best yeah. carry that on for ages. Infinite social research possibilities. You can link it to a personality test, I'm sure, as well. I am actually going to make that the poll of the week. So after this, I'll put it out there. I did actually do one in your absence, Elton. And the question was, is it okay that I keep singing Our Last Summer from Mamma Mia? That was the poll of the week. Massive response. Guess how many? Two. More. Five. Six. (laughs) I was one of them. It's pretty representative. Big statistical sample. Maury will be quaking in their boots. And the answers were, yes, everyone does this. Yes, it will pass. Yes, it's amazing. And no, you need help. And 50% of people said, I need help. So there you go. I went with that. I knew you would. <laughs> so Anna, beyond, beyond the scope of chips and all very, very exciting things like that as well, tell our listeners more about Traverse, because some of them may not be aware of the great work that you guys do. And obviously also your role as head of engagement and associate director there. Sure. Traverse is an employee-owned social impact consultancy. We've been around for a while, actually. We used to be called the Office for Public Management, or OPM, um, and it was founded in the sort of late 80s, early 90s. But we rebranded a couple of, a few years ago. We specialise in all things public and stakeholder engagement, kind of deliberative style engagement, or you know, managing responses to big statutory consultations and everything in between. But we also do more traditional social research and also evaluation of public services. And the majority of our work is is within the public sector, regulated industry, basically public services. And being employee owned is a little bit different. Some people are familiar with it, but it means that we we all get a say in in the work that we do and in the direction of the organisation. Means we have a really high tra- degree of transparency over everything from our financials to de- decision making and leadership. But it really means the team have a sense of ownership over what they do, and they really understand why they're being asked to do things that they do and and why we're all pulling in a certain direction. My role, so I've been there for coming up to four years. I lead our engagement team, so I'm head of engagement. And that basically means that I oversee the delivery of all our engagement work with the team, although we, we work kind of flexibly across our organisation. Part of my role is, is not only thinking about who we want to work with and what partners and what clients we might want to work with, but also how we continually improve what we do, how we think about the quality of our work, and but also how we grow as practitioners. I think engagement is very much practice and craft. We hear a lot about best practice, which I think is can be a bit of a misnomer because it feels like that's a place you get to and then you stop. Definitely, I think for something like engagement, it's something that you continue learning about, you continue challenging and scrutinising and growing in. So part of my role is to keep thinking and keep supporting the team in how we embed culture within our and within our work and within how we relate to to our partners, to the public, and to our clients and and to friends like yourselves as well. I'm really guilty of calling lots of things best practice. I've got into the habit of it. Yeah, um, I mean it is everywhere. I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah, I try and use good practice. Continuous practice. There's actually a bit of academic literature. It stops the conversation. If you say something best practice, it's almost like an off-the-shelf solution to something. It doesn't encourage you to think critically about whether that thing, that method, whatever it is, is actually the right tool for you and is the right tool for that situation. And sometimes it isn't. Sometimes, yes, it might work for lots of other different you know, circumstances and might have been really great. But for your particular circumstance or this particular pro- project, it might not be right. It's almost like evolving best practice then or something like that, yeah. understanding that that can change or, you know, it's not a one size fits all approach necessarily. Exactly. Yeah. 
Okay, and I can certainly attest to the greatness of the members of your team because I've really enjoyed, and we've all really enjoyed working with them over the last six months on some really exciting projects. One of which was that, and someone asked me about it the other day, and I won't name them because A, I've forgotten. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> they specifically asked me about the rapid online deliberation project that you did, lockdown debate learning. Um, now, how did that come about and who was involved beyond just a traverse and bang the table and what kind of approach was taken with that? When COVID happened, we were very much thinking about like, what is our role here? Like, what can we contribute in within this kind of crisis scenario that's useful? And obviously, you know, us, what we specialise is in supporting people to have a have a say. So we felt that obviously there wasn't that much engagement going on at the time. Massive, yeah. massive policy decisions were being taken with very, very little involvement with members of the public or, you know, people with lived experience of, of that and other situations. So we decided that we, we, we talk to people and see what they thought. And we got in touch with, with other others that we thought might be interested so we got in touch with you we got in touch with the Ada Lovelace Institute because they were they're particularly interested in all things data and AI and there was a lot of chatter at the time and still is around the role of apps and the role of technology and in how we manage this crisis and we also spoke spoke to Involve and ended up with either a a kind of partnership approach finding what was a good idea to do and then um, bringing 30 members of the public on board and, and running a what was a three and a bit week deliberation and all in all about a 10 week process wow. um, so it was pretty it was pretty rapid deliberations tend to take sometimes 10 weeks to get off the ground <laughs> um, and then sometimes a uh, you know nine months to to actually uh, to actually execute so it was um it was also a, an experiment in seeing is this a thing we could do quickly is this a thing we could we could do what completely online and what could we learn from trying to do those things there was a challenge in the name wasn't there really no. yes exactly Rapid yeah, we, we didn't quite know if it would work, to be honest. It was very much an experiment and it did work, which was great, which was, you know, also a lot to do with everybody involved being really working really hard on it and, and really kind of thinking through what, you know, what some of the pitfalls might be, how we could mitigate different risks. But well, yes, I mean, part of the point also of doing it was to learn an awful lot and was to share with other practitioners and with people who commission this kind of work, how you can do it and what you learn from it and what you need to think about if you want to do something like that. Then what did you learn then about the digital inclusion piece and the kind of importance of that when we're moving into the world? Are we moving into the new normal? (laughs) Who knows what we're moving into? So the digital inclusion piece is really interesting. And that project was only inclusive to to a degree. I mean, we did involve, you know, a a broad mix of people and in the process and the deliberation. But given the timescales, we were limited within that to involving people who were confident, who were relatively confident online. So quite a lot of people. People hadn't, I mean, nobody had used the engagement before. Lots of people hadn't been on Zoom before and, and used it in the way that we did. So there's still a lot of learning. What we learned from it was actually, it's not digital inclusion, it's inclusion generally. What we took away from it was that we needed to rethink about how we thought about inclusion across our practice, regardless of whether it was online or face-to-face. So because the event happened around the time of the death of George Floyd as well, there was an awful, there was a kind of a, a real resurgence of thinking about how are we addressing some of these systemic inequalities in our society, especially in terms of participation and how are our practices 
businesses really thinking about that and really addressing that and so we've got we're, we're at the beginning of what is quite a long journey about thinking about inclusion to be honest and digital is just one part of it it definitely shouldn't shouldn't be ignored one of the things that we're looking at doing now is proposing every time we do engagement to specifically recruit or work with a few people who are not digitally confident or don't necessarily have have the kit or have the capability to work online and providing what they need and offering one-on-one support so they can participate and hopefully then they can go on beyond whatever they're involved with with us so we started building that into our practice and also it's something that we address every time we we start thinking about engagement but the main thing is for us it's not just about digital it made us think about inclusion right across the board yeah absolutely and I know um John you were really heavily involved in that project as well in terms of how that might differ from some of the normal sorts of projects we might run in Engagement HQ what did you sort of pick up from that? There's a real ambition out there around the whole deliberative movement and, and, and a recognition that we can do democracy different. It's been around for a long time, but now I think there's this real sort of big push to do a bit more of it online. And the debate has really grown up because there was this feeling not so long ago that, that people were either, were either into offline engagement and it can't be done online or they're into online engagement because it's better than offline. Or, you know, there's this real sort of kind of not really sensible debate going on. And we can't, we seem to have settled down now to this place where we're we're all sort of like yeah you know we can have big public engagement exercises and they can be done online we will also do offline as well as part of the mix and at the moment that's harder to do than online in the future hopefully you know the needle will swing back the other way and there'll be there'll be a real good balance of and I really like this ability like we did with this project it's just for me it's just so lovely that you can attend something a live event in person you can get involved and then you can walk away and you're still all connected via um, an online platform and, and and you can carry on the conversation and you can bring new people into the discussion as well who aren't keen on attending face-to-face events. So I really like this idea about the whole engagement process, just a bit more sort of like sticky. There's a, there's a real good opportunity there to bring, to mix the two together, I think. No, I think you're totally right, John. And also, I think the thing that I didn't mention before is that what was really clear to us is that doing the work online included people that wouldn't have attended face-to-face events. And also, because we had so many different ways for people to interact, so they could, you know, they had discussion sessions, they had plenary, but then they had all these different things they could do on Engagement HQ and different ways to interact within the discussion sessions. People could be a bit more themselves and choose their method of communication that felt most comfortable. So some people don't really like speaking in a group, and so they use the chat function more, and they really enjoyed using the online platform that we learned a lot from that and we learned a lot that if you include online elements you give people the opportunity to engage in the way that they feel really comfortable and so that was really positive and I think the other thing to bear in mind as well was that this ability to do this asynchronous and synchronous engagement which, you're, which you were mentioning which is like yeah you have your discussion session and you, you talk and you're all there at the same time but then you go off and you might at a time that's convenient to you log on to the online platform and, and do some of the stuff and I think that it really really helps the quality of the deliberation because it means that people can go away think about things they can do activities in their own time they can reflect on it they're given space to do that and then when they come back to discuss with the the other participants they're going to be presenting their opinions in a more kind of formed and more reformed and reflective this combination that you're talking about is really valuable and definitely moving forward I think is is going to be the way to go 
Yeah, you find that with like a range of deep engagement tools. And because my background was more along the lines of student engagement in higher education, for example, we understand that people assimilate and take on board and digest information in different ways. So in some cases, that might be video content that they're watching. Um, other people like to sit and read, whether it's actually printed material or on a screen or, or whatever it might be. So giving people a range of different ways in which they can either get involved or just take on board really, really accurate information is really really important to them okay and then in terms of what have you got coming up now we're already headlong into September so I don't know quite how that happened what's on the horizon over the next few months for Traverse goodness so much stuff so it's very exciting and obviously you know like a, a lot of other organizations but we had a period where during lockdown where lots, lots of the things we we're doing were put on pause because there was you know lots of uncertainty and we planned all these face-to-face -face events and some of them translated online at some stage and some didn't and we're waiting to see what happened but now I have to say most stuff has moved online and it and it has been sort of taken off hold and is, is happening again. We're doing a few sort of large scale public dialogues online around the net zero agenda. So looking at yeah. things to do with future energy and also carbon capture. So talking to the public about their views on, on those things. We're also doing a lot of work on climate assemblies. So we're working with a few local councils in London, actually, at the minute, who are looking to engage with their residents about their um, climate action plans. We've been out in parks actually recently doing socially distanced engagement, chatting to people in the open air about, about different different plans. And then we'll be doing some, some online engagement. And we're also doing some interesting work in the health sector. So um, there's quite a lot of, of health services who are thinking that, okay, well, you know, we had this crisis response to the pandemic. We learned a lot from doing that. And we're in a position where we can think about what we wanted, what we learned from it that was actually really helpful and we want to take forward, but also maybe what didn't go so well and we want to address. And so health services who are wanting to A, be able to support um, getting their services back to a, a bit of a new normal after COVID, but also make sure that they're feeling really prepared for what may, may or may not um, who knows over the winter month um so you know and again working with with engagement hq on a couple of those projects and so working with um online engagement to crowdsource stories and experiences from people of um, local health services over the last little while and also um to understand from people what what they themselves took from the experience and from a health perspective like what they started to do that they want to continue doing or maybe things that they stopped during lockdown that that was you know really positive for them wow wow real um, demand and a need for a lot of public conversations isn't there there's lots of things to talk about Definitely. Yeah. And I think also that, which isn't always acknowledged, to be honest, but is one of the things that we, we I think we struggle with a little bit as a society is, is over lockdown. We've not had as individuals and as communities, like the spaces where we would usually process. So one thing we learned during lockdown debate is that people were just desperate to have a space to talk with other people about what was going on. Yeah. And, and process the experience that they were living through and so the spaces that we would usually do that like pubs or public libraries or you know other other event spaces haven't been open and I think that has a big impact and so trying to provide people with a way to process what they've gone through I think is also really just an important yeah it's really interesting and uh, this might be a bit of a as Matt, Matt Hancock likes to call it a moonshot question but how different do you think the focus of your work would be at this point in time, say going into September, October, if there hadn't been a pandemic at all? What sort of typical things might you have been focusing on? Or is that just too impossible to say? Topic wise, I don't think it would be 
that different. Yeah, I think off the top of my head because we were very much seeing it, and in, as a team also, we're quite passionate about um, talking to people about the climate emergency and future energy, and we we were already seeing quite that we were going to be doing quite a lot of work in that area, and that that hasn't changed, and I think has got a slightly different context around it now, but but that hasn't changed. Would we be doing as as much of this kind of conversation in terms of health? Maybe not with the same lens, but potentially sort of some similar questions because it's obviously there there are some significant changes still happening within the health service. So I think it's not about what we're talking about. I think it's possibly about how we're talking about it and also how we're thinking about working with participants and acknowledging what people have been living through. So I think I think that's probably changed more than the content that we're working on. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I often think about beyond the fact that we haven't had face-to-face meetings, which we would normally have, have had, how different our conversations would have been with certain sectors. And I know particularly looking at things like utilities and housing sectors, they suddenly ended up in this scenario where they're like, we we feel disengaged from our residents and community mm. members because we're not having face-to-face events and things like that that we once had and therefore even though we weren't really thinking about some kind of digital strategy not only do we have to do it but we have to do it immediately like tomorrow Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, that immediacy has kind of come into it in uh, across certain sectors as well. Now, I did brief you for the fact that we always have a, a Meldrew moment. So I know you listen every week, so you'll have. You'll have heard. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you're such a poly- a bit like um, Charlie Amos, our colleague who's been standing in for the last couple of weeks. She changed. She actually changed this segment to Charlie's chirpy moments because she just couldn't bear to think of us having um, grumpy moments. But um, obviously, with John O being back, and he usually likes likes to embark yeah. on a sort of 30 to 40 minute monologue at this point um, do you have any sort of anything that's made you particularly grumpy whether it's in like the work sphere or your chips were undercooked or anything like that personally <laughs> well I can I empathize with Charlie because as I was listening back to some of the recordings from lockdown debate I was so appalled with how like perky I sound <laughs> I, I had a moment of being oh my goodness uh, so yeah, I tend to be uh, I tend to be a kind of glass half full kind of person. I do though, travelled around in my memory bank, video conference meetings that like run on like significantly yeah. over the time. I mean, meetings that run on anyway are always inconvenient. But I was on one the other day, which was supposed to be an hour and went on for an hour and forty minutes. And by the time we got to the end of the meeting, I was also like completely desperate for the bathroom I really needed like a drink I was just sort of really exhausted by looking at the screen and was completely then also over the content of the meeting which is never good (laughs) so I find that my tolerance for long meetings meetings that go on longer than anticipated when working online is is much less than when I would be face to face so that was I had a Meldrew moment over that earlier in the week yeah Jono shares that but I mean he loves a zoom meeting but just not too many of them and there are there are like video conferencing platforms available as well but yeah john i really really isn't happy do you know what this is the founder of zoom the founder of zoom is now worth if i'm right 11 billion dollars all that pain he's put us through (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean it has sort of meant that we've been able to continue our work in some ways sarah (laughs) but there we go there's my glass half full again (laughs) Well, I I now know the answer to the question we raised at the start, which was, 
if Jono and I were to be replaced permanently by Charlie, I think after listening to this, they'll say actually both of them should be replaced and it should be Charlie and Anna who now take this podcast forward in a completely <laughs> new brand, rebrand the whole thing and it'll be a Traverse Bang the Table podcast, scrap those two grumpy blokes basically. Oh, I don't know. I think I think a little bit of grumpy cynicism is refreshing. Uh, shall I share a grumpy moment? Yeah, yeah, go for it. The Isle of Wight Council... And I'm sure they haven't done this like too deliberately, but there is this whole thing going on at the moment about creating better, more cycle paths and improving streets and all and all and the street scene and all the rest of it. And Boris Johnson launched his gear change proposals and all the rest of it. And 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 at the back of that document, it clearly calls for proper stakeholder engagement before anything happens. And I've been tracking this via the power of Google. Again, and there's another one this week, which is with with the Isle of Wight, where they're just the local government is just not engaging, just not consulting people on on these schemes. And as forecast, what's happening is, is that they're just not meeting the needs of local people. And just just a little quote here from a, a Cycle White, which is an advocacy group for cycling on the Isle of Wight, and and it captures it really well. It goes: some of the schemes proposed by the council were so far removed from the scheme desired by cyclists as to be meaningless and i think that captures it really well the reason why we have to consult people about these changes to streets and to cycle paths and all the rest of it is that they they kind of have the knowledge they kind of know what's required it's made me grumpy that is an excellent reason to be grumpy i i do have another grump actually i don't know whether you heard this fire safety regulations about implementing the recommendations from the grenfell inquiry um, which was voted yeah. down yeah. in government i think what's made me grumpy is that it seems to have this whole thing seems to have really politicized how residents views and the views of those who you know had those experiences at, at the grenfell tragedy been really politicized and obviously grenfell is a very has become a very political um, issue but so what happened was that the the recommendations were see it seemed like they'd been voted down in parliament what's happened subsequently is that the housing secretary had said oh no no we, we are going to implement the measures but we need to finish talking to the residents of, of social housing and people in the industry who's kind of come back and said oh but we still actually the reason we voted it down is because we need to talk to more people which in, it, in itself isn't necessarily a bad thing but it seems to be uh, have turned into something that's very politicized and in the middle of this you have people who have been putting their time and energy into supporting the inquiry and making recommendations and and going through their experiences which is a very sort of traumatic thing to do and so it makes me pretty grumpy that then that the way that it's handled is pretty traumatic and I imagine confusing for, for the residents when they seemingly experience one thing one day and then are told another thing the next. People hate to be asked to be involved in something to contribute to a public consultation let's say you know not, not necessarily an inquiry and then it's almost like it gets the decision or the outcome gets kicked into the long grass. Let's do some more talking. Mm. People, that really, you know, they, they find that quite annoying. It makes them grumpy, actually. Yeah, exactly. And I just, it was such an awful, awful tragedy that the residents have been through so much. And um, we did a bit of work in, in Kensington, Chelsea, a couple of years ago and spoke to quite a few of them. And it just, yes, it makes me very, very grumpy. It's still something that is, that they're still going through something that's now become very political. Yeah, by anyone to not be, you know, downbeat about that. Well, just before we close then, now, not that we prepare anything for this, um, Anna, but really? I understand you were really, really itching to, to tell a joke. So I thought before we close, we could just have a little brief joke session. Do I have to go first? <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> okay so i don't i'm not a great joke teller i have to say but so i always but i always have like one or two in the bag that i can pull out just so that people <laughs> never then ask me to tell a joke ever again um so hopefully this will serve that purpose so my joke is what do you call a donkey with three legs no idea oh no idea no a donkey with three legs is wonky oh yes i yeah. see you got one Alison. Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. So I've got. Um, I'll just. I'll just make one up because we don't prepare. So a bear walks into a bar and says, "Give me a whiskey and a cola." And the bartender says, "Why the big paws?" And the bear shrugged and said, "I'm not sure. I was born with them." What? <laughs> My donkey is way better than your bear. Yeah. <laughs> it's an animal-related joke session. Um, what... it took me about thirty seconds to get it. <gasps> It's the spelling, isn't it? Through you. Yeah. <laughs> I should have spelt it out. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it works better when you read it. Yeah, it looks better than it sounds, doesn't it? I think it? that's one for like the telly. Yeah. <laughs> just write it on a screen. See, on Zoom, I could have just written that up there and shared it. But... Other platforms are available. <laughs> and gonna, I feel like I have to give you mine now. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Why, why did the banker quit his job? No idea. No. He lost interest. Um, oh, no, I mean, thank you so much for joining us, Anna. Is there anything you'd like to add before we before we close? What I will do is I'll put in the blurb. Um, you wrote a fantastic report on the leaving lockdown public debate, which I'll put the link to in the blurb as well, so that people can read through that. And I've actually had a number of people ask me for to send it to them as well. So, but anything you'd like to add before we close off? I just said there actually um, there's two reports from that piece of work. One we so we did quite a long report just on the methodology, um, which for like participation and, and deliberation geek was talking through like exactly what we did and what we learned from it. And then there's another report which we did with the Ada Lovelace Institute, which was much more around the findings and what we kind of learned from from talking to people. So there's there's those two. But no, um, it's been lovely as ever to talk to you both. Just, just thank you for you know, continuing to be great friends and uh, partners in crime. Absolutely. No, well, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, yeah, until next time. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to the UK Consult. Join us for future conversations each week as we continue to explore the tremendous, meaningful and ever-evolving world of digital consultation and community engagement. You can view additional educational resources at bangthetable.com.